Father, again, it is our privilege to be able to look into the word of the Lord, and we pray that over the next few moments, you would speak to all of our hearts. We love you, God. We thank you. We pray that you would help me to speak with clarity in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Now, there are a large number of people in the world today that have never even heard of the word anointing before. They're not even sure what that is. But there are some that know about it, but they misunderstand the meaning, believing that for somebody to be anointed, it just simply means they like what they teach. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, I love his teaching or her teaching on that. They are so anointed. Well, it's if you listen to the topics that they enjoy, rarely do you hear somebody say, I heard a minister the other day. He brought the word of the Lord on hell. Oh, it was so anointed. He really has a special gift for dealing with that. Or. You don't hear people say he's so anointed to deal with repentance. But very often, if it has to do with the economy or money or grace or gifts, something that we perceive to be of strictly a positive nature, we tend to think a person is anointed if they can explain it in a very good way. Now, what I'm saying doesn't diminish the fact that people are specially gifted for service. All of us have different talents, different abilities. But in the kingdom of God, God does different things. One person plants, somebody else comes along and uh, reaps the harvest of it. But before somebody gets the harvest and after somebody has planted, somebody has to water. But it's God that gives the increase. Sometimes when we have big crusades overseas and you see the magazines of the ministers who hold them, we, we tend to forget that there's already been a century worth of missionary work done in these areas. And these missionaries may have never seen 50,000 people or 10,000 people in one location. But the individual who comes and holds the big rallies, he's harvesting what very often has gone on for hundreds of years as one person planted a seed here, another person planted a seed there. God gives a supply of grace to some people for special or exceptional uh, ministries, and he gives them to them sometimes in greater measures or lesser measures. So Paul is able to say in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, I am by the grace of God what I am. So God's grace is what transforms us. It shapes us and it prepares us for the ministry that God has for us. Now, nobody doubts that all of the apostles were anointed to lay the foundation of the church. We know that Christ is the cornerstone. But the superstructure of the glorious church is being built continuously in every generation. So Paul speaks about that church And in order for that church to be what it needs to be, God has to have different people in different ages that are at work in the body of Christ. Every church is different. No denomination is exactly the same as another denomination. If every church was just a cookie cutter image of another church, then there really wouldn't be a need for there to be a variety of churches. But the scriptures teach that the church is a body. That means that the members in the body have different functions. 
The same way your hand is different from your foot, your foot is different from your knee. The same way your knee has a different function and operation from your shoulder, that thing works throughout the body of Christ in the same way. All of us are called by God, positioned in the body of Christ, and God is the one who establishes us. Now, there's some principles about this that need to be understood. Number one, the anointing is used specifically for objects that are set aside for holy purposes. So we go back to the Old Testament and we consider the use of the tabernacle. It was a big tent and that tent had all kinds of furniture. In the outer court, one of the pieces was an altar. It was a big altar. And it was called the brazen altar, and it held all the sacrifices. The head of the family brought an animal to the priest. That priest is going to be slaughtered for the sins of the family. The priest is going to take the life of that innocent animal. That animal is then going to be skinned. It's going to be flayed. The entrails are going to be removed from it. It's going to be cut up in small pieces And then it's going to be placed on that altar so that the fire can consume it. And as the scripture teaches, the the smoke ascending from the altar is a sweet smelling savor in the nostrils of God. He's pleased with that kind of sacrifice. Well, likewise, the scripture says we offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. We reckon ourselves dead as Christ applies Calvary to our lives so that we can say, not our will, but your will. See, I have to die that Christ might live. And the Lord is constantly working through the Holy Spirit to ensure that you and I fit the altar. He wants to make sure that all of us are touched by that holy fire. He had to make sure that when they cut up the goat or cut up the bull, that there wasn't a long tongue hanging over the side of it. There was no hoof that was hanging off the edge. All of it has to be touched. So God doesn't want us to have a long gossiping tongue, and he doesn't want us to be going down pathways we shouldn't go down because we have been anointed for something holy. He pulls you out of sin, brings you into righteousness. He brings you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Second Corinthians one twenty one. He which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God. All of us are anointed if we're Christian. Well, the second thing, <clears throat> the anointing does not change the purpose of the instruments that are made. That, that's, that's good to know. When a potter takes a lump of clay, the potter has in mind what he wants that clay to become. Now, in his mind, he could want a cup, he could want a vase, or something else. But when he begins to fashion it and shape it, he is he is already placing within the constitution of that thing his thinking. So that that vase is going to contain something. Once he's done, he's going to put it in the fire, and then afterwards, they're going to take it to the man of God, and Moses and the rest of the priesthood are going to anoint it. The anointing does not change the purpose of the vessel that's going to be used. The anointing very simply acknowledges that it is approved 
for use in the tabernacle. So when they anointed a spoon, the spoon's purpose didn't change. It didn't become a cup. The cup didn't become the altar of incense. When they anointed the altar of incense, it never was transformed into the brazen altar. When God brought you into the kingdom of God, he knew beforehand what your gifts and talents would be in the kingdom. Now, sometimes God makes some changes. Nevertheless, there's a calling that was attached to your life before you were born. Scripture says of Jeremiah, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. The day you became a Christian was no surprise to God. The only surprises that have occurred since you become a Christian is that God has opened your eyes to all of the things he prepared for you before the foundation of the world. And Paul puts it this way. Our life is hid with God in Christ. That is to say, when we were in sin, we were blind to our purpose, our destiny and why we were made. But once we come into Christ, the scales fall off of our eyes and suddenly we begin to realize that we've been made for something greater. There's a divine purpose for our lives and we can see instantly that God has more for me than living in sin. God does that. And this is what we have in scripture. So the anointing comes in order to help you understand that you're approved by God. Now, we've all heard the name Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts' dad was a preacher, Pentecostal holiness denomination. And Mr. Roberts was running from the call of God. And eventually he ended up laid up where he was sick and dying. And his sibling came by and said, look, there's a man got a tent up here a few towns over. And we want to take you over there to that tent. God may touch you. And so they took his little feeble frame body, 17 or 18 years of age, threw him in the back seat of that vehicle, drug him along there to that tent and put him down there where that man of God was preaching. And after the man was done preaching, he went down there, laid hands on oral and oral got up and he was raised up by the power of God. Well, God had called him to preach before the man laid hands on him. When he got up, he simply entered into what God had already prepared for him. But once God laid that through that man laid hands on him and healed him, God had anointed him to go into the ministry he had called him to. He did not call him to be a singer. See? So the anointing didn't transform his life to sing. Now, don't misunderstand me. I, I've met a whole lot of preachers that have put out songs that probably should have never been recorded. And you can go into some flea markets and some secondhand stores and you'll find some old big albums and maybe here and there a few eight tracks of some preachers singing songs. And they themselves don't want to be reminded that they recorded them today. I'm telling you, I've heard them give the testimony of that. But the only thing I'm trying to emphasize is that the purpose of his life didn't change. Uh, you can come from sin into the kingdom you may have been the best trumpet player that the community has ever known. But when you become a Christian, God may never want you to touch another trumpet for the rest of your life. Because if playing that trumpet was a source of pride for you, and you don't have the right kind of character, then the king may not want you to play the trumpet. Very simply, because of the character issue. But God still has a purpose for that individual's life. So as a Christian then... We need to understand when God puts his stamp of approval on us, it is because we are entering into what he has previously called us to do. 
Now, years ago, when we had that TV deal, and, and Dr. Sutton passed away, and so we were going there flying to La Cie and recording all of that stuff, and just was just, it was just crazy uh, doing all of that. Then I, I was in different places preaching, and I'd have people say things like this to me. They said, well, you know, you're on television, and you're preaching in these different churches. Why in the world are you staying there in Nebraska preaching in, in those little towns when, when you, you got all these other doors that are wide open to you? And then I had a, a couple of people say, well, why don't you leave World Ministry Fellowship and come on over into this ministry fellowship because we think it's bigger? Well, well my, my, my thing was, okay, well, uh, the only reason that I'm on the television and the only reason that I'm in those churches is because I've been obedient to what God has told me to do in these little towns. That's the only reason. If if you if we do what God tells us to do, then the Lord opens up other doors. See, on the other side of obedience, there's always a blessing, always a blessing. If you do what God has told you to do. So I told them the only reason you and I are having this conversation is because I preach to those lovely people in Nebraska. See, the moment I turn and go in the opposite direction, that's when trouble comes. Going on television never changed God's purpose for my life here. But there are a lot of people who allow their purpose to be reoriented and changed by any little thing that comes along. You have to know God and have strong roots in your relationship with him. Something else we need to know about the anointing. The anointing does not protect a vessel from corruption. Moses told him, if you're going to make this, you're going to make the Ark of the Covenant, you're going to take some wood. Then you're going to put over that wood some gold and that gold is going to beautify it and it's going to preserve it for a little while. But I can promise you that thing was not eternal. It still would rot and it got older and there were things in that tabernacle that had to be replaced. Just because a man or woman is anointed doesn't mean that corruption cannot set in to that ministry and into that Christian's life. There have been great Christians and great preachers who've gotten into trouble over the decades simply because they refuse to believe that somebody anointed could end up misled. I knew of a, a pastor one time in, uh, in, in Dallas, <clears throat> and whenever he had people in his church that would graduate who were ladies, girls, he, he would take them out to a graduation dinner, just a pastor and a little high school girl, and then it come to find out he was slipping something in their drinks. And then he'd take them to a hotel and then do something he's not supposed to do. Well, this this went on for years before it finally came out. And, and people were asking the question, I can't understand how, how this happens. Well, it happens because just because a man or woman is, is anointed, it doesn't mean that corruption can, can't come to it. You understand that? You're dealing with flesh people just like you read in the Bible. And one of the places where I go preach, there was a, a man that I knew. And I went one time and they said to me, they said, well, the, the pastor's wife committed suicide. I said, what? Oh, I said, well, how, how did that happen? 
I said, we need to go console him and talk with him and everything. Sure enough, that's exactly what occurred. And then later on, it came out because he had a bunch of kids, a bunch of foster kids and all of that. It came out that that with those foster kids, those teenage girls, he'd been in that house having relations with them. The wife couldn't take it. Committed suicide. He's in jail now. Family scattered all over the place because of sin. But if you'd ever heard him teach I'm telling you, folks, he was a good teacher of that Bible. There's no, no doubt about that. So in the, the, the life of the Christian, when we walk with God, we, we don't want anybody to believe that because you're anointed to do something, that that's a protection from corruption. You, the, your only protection is to choose what's right and shun what is wrong. That's it. There have been a lot of gospel singers through the years who've decided that they wanted to leave a spouse and do this or do that. And then later on, after they divorced their wife and or divorced their husband and then marry the one they had the affair with, they get mad and say, well, the churches are judgmental because they won't let us in. Well, they won't let you in because you never repented. See, it, it's not repentance if I go and have an affair on my wife, and then I go divorce her and then marry the one that I had the affair with. That's not repentance. Genuine repentance is to ask God to forgive me, and even if the marriage fell apart, the one that I had the affair with, I don't ever want to see them again. See, that's repentance, and this is important. So the, the people that we see today who claim to be anointed, very often when I see corruption set in, the only thing I can say is, oh, God, please preserve me from that. Oh, God, help me in the midst of temptation to be kept from that. A conversation I had with Dr. Hilton Sutton years ago, we were talking about one of the leading evangelists, healing evangelists of that, of that time. And uh, I said to him, I said, do you, do you know how he, he, he picks his crusades, where he goes for his crusades? Well, well I knew and I, and I told him, I said, he, he said he's got a committee of people that governs or, or should say uh, takes note of where all the offerings come in all across America. And he said, where wherever the offerings are coming in and the largest amount for that particular season, that's where he goes and holds a crusade. I told Dr. Sutton, I said, this thing, this thing is terrible. You know, this this, this thing is terrible. And, and that's exactly what what is taking place. So just because a man or woman is anointed, that doesn't mean bad stuff can't start happening in that ministry. The other thing connected with that is just because a person is anointed, that's no restraint from transgression. See, so there's difference. Corruption can set in and a person doesn't necessarily have to be sinning. But then at the same time, a person can be anointed of God to do great things and still end up sinning. Saul was anointed of God. First Samuel chapter 10. Uh, Samuel poured the oil on. Saul rebelled against God. He ended up losing the kingdom. David was anointed by Samuel in first Samuel 16. David committed adultery, murdered a man, put more trust in his army than he did in God. Let's not forget that Aaron's sons were anointed by Moses. The Bible says they offered strange fire in the tabernacle and died under the judgment of God. Let's never forget that holy garments don't keep us from sinning. 
I mean, Aaron's sons had special garments. The scripture says they were beautifully and wonderfully made and, and says if you were to have looked at them, you would have been absolutely astonished at the beauty of them. But they still offered strange fire. And the scripture then goes on to say afterwards, no priest shall partake of strong drink and then come into the tabernacle. So our clothing doesn't make us holy. Now this is a nice suit that I'm wearing, but I can promise you this suit doesn't sanctify me. And what you're wearing doesn't sanctify you. Too many clothes don't make you holy, but too few clothes could certainly do something about your holiness. Yeah. Yeah. You don't 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 ever forget the story I told you about the man over there in Africa. And the, the missionary, he had to get up there and preach in front of them Africans, and these folks weren't wearing any clothing at all. Uh, that's that that's yeah, you think about that. It's back in the thirties and forties, and so he get out there, the ladies don't have anything on and the men don't have anything on every now and then they might have a little loin cloth or something like that a jockey strap or something and so he he just he just couldn't take he was just praying saying, oh god please please god just just let somebody let some of these men or somebody wear some clothing uh to 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 the crusade to the meeting this is so embarrassing so he said he came out there one night Got ready to preach, or I should say during the day, and got ready to preach. And sure enough, right there in the front, there was an African man that had gone somewhere and found a tie. And I mean, he put the tie on. He's standing there with the biggest smile on his face, stark naked, but got a tie on, and he's happy to be there. See? Yeah, too, too few clothes can, can affect you. Just because a preacher puts on a robe and a collar, you've seen what's been going on in these different other churches with these priests and these kids. Don't ever think clothing will, will ever make a man or a woman holy. But, but quickly then, the anointing of God was an event that approved or recognized the anointee for a specific call. God never put oil on somebody unless there was something special taking place in their life and in their ministry. Elisha was anointed. Because he was following Elijah. Let's never forget Solomon was anointed. Adonijah had tried to promote himself as king. Adonijah had a bunch of people going in front of him blowing horns. But David decided that Solomon was to be the king. Now There are people today that will promote themselves. And they will exalt themselves. And anybody today can get online and find somebody. If you pay them $22, they'll give you a license or ordination certificate and say you're a preacher. All it takes today to be a preacher is a little piece of paper and a sermon. We've got that going on all across America where people are doing that. I, I could probably name to you some country western singers, some rappers, and a few other people that not only do what they do, but also preach and do a little marrying, marrying and on, on the side. But but this this is a calling that is holy, and we don't ever want to forget that. These people walked with God, and the Lord changed their lives. He changed them. I, I recall as a teenager, a little 17, 18-year-old boy, and I remember when Victor Foster put my little license in my hand, and I was over there in Japan, and that license, I mean, that thing let, let me know I was approved by these folks, they laid hands on me, said I was called of God, and I was so happy. 
Oh, teenager had my piece of paper. I felt like I belonged somewhere. So when I went somewhere and somebody asked me a question, I just stuck that right on out there. You better believe it. I shortened it up and laminated, carried it in my wallet. I was so happy to be able to be able to show them I, I had I had those papers. Well, well, later on, my my pastor of North Carolina when I was in Marine Corps was a man named Donnie Ray Hester, and and he had been discipled by preacher who was very popular in the 50s and 60s, 60s named Arturo Skinner. He was a man from the islands, preached in tents and held all these healing meetings and evangelistic crusades across the states. Well, Brother Hester would, would sit me down at the kitchen table and ask me, he said, have you ever heard of Brother Skinner? I said, no, never, never heard the name at all. And then he started telling me stories about going to D.C., being in the crusade and watching blind people being healed in these meetings. He's telling me all these stories that, you know, a little 20-year-old sitting at the kitchen table eating bacon and eggs. My eyes were getting big, and I, I mean, I was hungry for this. I wanted to know because I didn't know anything about all of this, but he was teaching me, and I was taking it in. Well, he ended up getting sick, and he died early, and I'll never forget. He wasn't even, I don't think, 51 years of age. I had to go see him in that hospital. A couple of days before he died, he said, you know you're preaching on Sunday morning. I said, yes, sir. He said, well, this is how everything's going to work out, but you just minister the word. And, and uh, then after, he said, in a couple of weeks, they're going to have a big ordination service for you. All the preachers are going to gather, and they're going to lay hands on you and pray for you. And he prayed for me there in the hospital. He died that night. So I had to get up, preach that Sunday morning in that church. Church was filled. I ministered the word. A few weeks later, we had my ordination service. My parents drove down from Ohio to North Carolina. Many of my friends were there in that church. Forty preachers or more gathered together in that meeting. And one of my friends preached the ordination sermon for me. And then they brought me down, put me in front of everybody in that altar. All them preachers came and stood over me and laid hands on me. And the oldest of them all, W.K. Rayner, he took those old gnarled hands laid them on my head and said, Father, help this young man preach the gospel, help him to preach the truth, and if he ever ceases to preach the truth, Lord, kill him. So, I mean, these folks were crying over me. I mean, tears and everything coming down. I, I, I tell you that only to let you know that, that I had people that were over me, people I was connected with, and it's always been a relationship. Everywhere I, I've gone to minister and serve with churches, they all knew God was in my life. When, when, when I was getting ready to leave to go to South America to live, 4th of July camp meeting, I think it was 1997, Sunday night, and Brother Swaggart called me up there on that platform laid his hands on my head and prayed for me in front of that whole church and said, Oh God, give him an anointing for the nations. The anointing is not just somebody uh, operating with a teaching that you enjoy. It's the, it's the favor and grace of God on their life to do what God has called them to do. And always remember, it doesn't matter how anointed a man or woman is, you can't receive from anybody that you don't respect. Understand that? You, if you, if you don't respect, there, there's no way. If, if you didn't respect me, there'd be no way you or anybody else would put their clothes on, dress their kids, and come out to hear anything I had to say. 
And if you're watching that television, if you look at somebody and you listen to them and you think they're a charlatan and you think they're false, you'll flip that channel. You won't receive anything at all from them. But if you believe that they're saying something that ministers to your heart, you'll soak it in. See, you'll soak it in. So that that is what we need to know tonight about the anointing. But let's stand. Let's stand. Now I talked about me. And I talked about a number of preachers, but I began with that scripture in 2 Corinthians 1 because I want you to know you're anointed too. Don't ever forget that. Steve leaves home and he walks into that bank. He's an ambassador for the kingdom. He's anointed. Travis climbs up on that tractor. He goes to work. He's anointed. Tina walks into that job, wherever you guys are at school, wherever you're at. Doing whatever you do. You have to believe you're a carrier of the presence of God. But men and women won't know that you're a carrier of that presence if you don't conduct yourself like this body is the temple and God lives in that. This is God's house. And if I believe this is God's house, then I'll treat this thing differently than I would if I did not I heard a preacher say one time, if we believe that God lived in our spouses, we'd look at our spouse and treat our spouse a whole lot different than we treat them and talk to them. If we really believe, that's where God is at. And for our single people, if, if you understand that, that God is living on the inside of you, then you'll be very careful about how you tend to God's house. Because that house is where God manifests himself. It matters. It really does matter. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we trust and believe that your anointing is real. And Father, all of us are happy to have your seal of approval. So Father, I pray that when we lay hands on people to pray, whether in the grocery store aisle or at home, we pray good things happen. Father, when you give us opportunity to talk with our peers and our friends, Maybe something that we say can be like a seed sown into their heart through that conversation. And we pray, God, that multitudes of people would begin to think more and more about you. Father, we pray that in our homes that your presence would be strong. Let gospel music permeate that place, Lord, so your name can be magnified. We pray, Lord, that where we may have an unruly spirit, that you'd be able to temper that and help to restrain that so that, God, your anointing can bring about the liberty that many afflicted people need. Your word says your son was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, but also to set at liberty those that are bruised. There are a lot of wounded people in this county and in this area. There are a lot of broken hearted people, God that are having difficulties, and we know that Christ is the answer. So use us, O oh God. Use us, O oh God, in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen, amen, amen.